Hello everyone, welcome back to another episode of Point of Insanity Game Studios, Geekery in General Podcast. I am Al, and this will be part five of our look at historical and legendary weapons from across the world. Today is going to be Poland. Now before I begin, I'm just going to put a timestamp on today's episode as this is going to be kind of, this has just been a really weird week, uh, and it's going to get even weirder here in Wisconsin. I am recording this on Wednesday, January 30th, and actually head off from work today because this has been one of the worst Wisconsin winter weeks I have ever seen in all my years of living in this state. We started out with a snowstorm on Monday, which I think haven't heard the official totals, but I'm just going to guess that probably in my area, we probably got at least nine, maybe 10 inches. And as amazing as that sounds, it was even, from what I understand, it was even worse uh, to the south of us where in Oshkosh, not too, too far from me, they actually were expecting anywhere from 12 to 15 inches. But as I said, I haven't heard the official totals yet. But Not only that, we went from this huge snowstorm to bitter cold. And today, the reason I have off from work is because, well, right now with wind chill, it's around 50 degrees below zero. And yesterday at work, they're, and actually this entire week at my day job, they're like, well, we're going to, you know, monitor the situation. And if anyone wants to use their paid time off to take a day, you know, take, time off this week because of the weather you can and I figured you know I've got some stuff I need to do so what the heck so I put in for today off because again just how bitterly cold it is it's not going to be quite as bad tomorrow Friday is going to be tolerable well we'll at least be in the positive digits again this weekend they're expecting it to get somewhere in the mid 30s to low 40s Monday right now, they're expecting it to be in the low 40s with snow, and then we're going to start to get colder again. So anyone listening to this from warmer climates, I bet you just are wondering how the heck do we survive here? I wish I knew the answer because sometimes I don't know. And there's actually been uh, some jokes about how in... Wisconsin right now, it's actually colder than Antarctica and Alaska, places that, you know, usually we associate with extreme cold. There was also an amusing picture that a friend of mine posted on Facebook. It had a picture of a weather map of Wisconsin showing all, you know, the negative temperatures with, you know, with the wind chill. So lots of negatives, 30s, 40s, and 50s. And it had someone photoshopped a picture of Sub-Zero from the first Mortal Kombat game, <laughs> raising his hand in his victory pose and underneath it put, Sub-Zero wins. So I just thought that was funny, but... Well, now that we're done putting a timestamp on today's episode, so those of you who don't live in Wisconsin now know what we go through at this time of year. Let's get on to today's topic. So... As I said, we're going to be taking a look at some historical and legendary weapons from Poland. This is another one of those areas that I don't think has really been touched in Dungeons and Dragons. 
And actually, I don't really think I've seen uh, Poland or anywhere really based on Poland covered in really any of the role-playing games that I personally have seen. So hopefully some of this information will be new and interesting for you. So we'll take a look at some Polish weapons right after this quick announcement. It was a dark and stormy night, and the hosts of the Queens of the Damned podcast had just gathered around the fire with their tomes of forgotten lore. Don't forget the wine! And a lot of wine, much of which had already been imbibed. For her part, Miranda was discussing... A history of Frankenstein, from its conception to Karloff's beloved role as the monster. And Rachel would continue with... Vincent Price. Like, everything about Vincent Price. And as the fire died down, Nikki would conclude the evening... With something related to gothic literature, probably. You know me so well. Do you like listening to three women debate about the cultural significance of the horror genre? And also axe murders. I do love a good old-timey axe murder story. Then Queens of the Damned, a horror podcast, is the show for you. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and pretty much anywhere you can download a podcast. Visit us at queensofthedamnedpodcast.wordpress.com, qotdpodcast.podbean.com, or email us at qotdpodcast at gmail.com for more details about our monthly horror giveaways. Stay spooky! And we're back. Like with many of my episodes where I touch on historical topics, the mispronunciation disclaimer will be in effect today. I really don't know how to pronounce most of the names that I'm going to be uh, discussing today. So, like I said, if anyone out there actually speaks Polish or actually knows how to correctly pronounce these words, I do apologize. The first weapon I'm going to be talking about is the Sword of St. Peter. Now, this weapon actually doesn't have its origins in Poland. The reason that I'm touching on it in this episode is because this sword does supposedly exist, and currently it is on display in Poznan in central Poland. This sword is believed to be the weapon that St. Peter used to cut off the ear of a man who was trying to arrest Jesus. British folklore states that the weapon was brought to England by St. Joseph of Arimathea. It eventually made its way to Glastonbury Abbey and was later given to St. George. And this is, of course, the St. George from the famous uh, story of St. George and the Dragon. Now, I have seen pictures of the reported weapon, and from what I understand from historical analysis of it, the weapon does actually seem to be from that particular time period. It At least the, the metal dates to that time period, and the sword does seem to be in the style of a type of weapon that would have been used in that particular region at that time. As far as game stats... I would probably give it the game mechanics of a cutlass, as it does look like it's a short, wide-bladed weapon. Now, unfortunately, we don't really have much to go by 
other than using St. Peter using it to cut off a man's ear, because of the connection to St. George, it'd be tempting to give it the stats of a sort of dragon slain, but the problem with that is most depictions of the legend of St. George killing the dragon depict him as doing it with a spear or a lance. He only used a sword to kill the dragon after it was subdued. Now, it's difficult to really determine what powers or abilities we would see with this particular weapon. Honestly, I wouldn't really make it that powerful because all we really have to go by, according to folklore, is it cut off a person's ear and it was used to kill a subdued dragon. So I would probably only give it about a plus one, nothing really too major, though I would say an additional power wouldn't be too bad. Maybe additional damage when you inflict a critical hit. That's about all I could really think to uh, do with it. I don't think I'd quite put it at the level of a sword of sharpness, and I definitely would not put it at the same level as a vorpal sword. The next weapon I would like to talk about is actually a pair of weapons called the Grunwald Swords. These are two plain, undecorated longswords. They were given to King Wendelshaw II of Poland by Ulrich von Jurgengen of the Order of Teutonic Knights on July 15, 1410 as an invitation to battle because apparently that's how you did things back then. If you wanted to challenge someone to battle, you sent a couple of envoys and gave them a pair of swords. So upon giving the king the swords, the envoys gave the following message. Your Majesty, the Grand Master Ulrich sends you and your brother through us the deputy standing here, two swords for help so that you, with him and his army, may delay less and may fight more boldly than you have shown, and also that you will not continue hiding and staying in the forest and groves, and will not postpone the battle. And, if you believe that you have too little space to form your ranks, the Prussian master Ulrich, to entice you to battle, will withdraw from the plain which he took for his army as far as you want, or you may instead choose any field of battle so that you do not postpone the battle any longer. Well, to this, the king replied, We accept the swords you send us, and in the name of Jesus Christ, before whom all stiff-necked pride must bow, we shall do battle. So, apparently that last line was seen as a bit of an insult, so that's how that particular uh, battle started. Well, after the Polish won the Battle of Grunwald, the swords were taken as trophies to Wawel Castle. Now, as far as I could tell, there's no surviving swords believed to be these weapons, though the image of two swords does appear as a heraldic symbol in Poland and does adorn the Cross of Grunwald, the second highest award in the Polish military. Now, since we don't really know much about the swords other than that they were given as an invitation to battle, I really wouldn't stat them too high, plus one, maybe plus two, 
But because they were given as a pair, I would bestow additional abilities on the wielder if they were used by the same person. So if you had someone dual wielding these long swords, I would say maybe given an additional plus one uh, to the attack and damage rolls, but I would also give a defensive bonus. So maybe plus two, maybe plus three. So using the swords paired would require a certain degree of skill. As as I recall, the only version of, well, there's only two versions of Dungeons and Dragons I'm aware of where fighting two-handed was specific to a certain character class, in that case being the Ranger, where it was a, a normal ability for Rangers in 2nd edition. And then I know 4th edition did give Rangers a couple options where they could specialize in either two-handed fighting or archery. I know 3rd edition had the uh, same option as well, but it was worked a little bit differently. And... Okay, it's been a while since I played a 5th edition Ranger, so I forgot how they do it there. And then, of course, uh, they really didn't have the two-weapon fighting thing in 1st edition. The next weapon is the Sword of John Sobeski III. Now, this weapon would be a blessed sword, like the Sword of the State from Scotland that I talked about in the last episode. It was given to him by Pope Clement X, after Sobieski defeated the Turks at the Battle of Vienna in September of 1683. This was an important battle and was a tipping point in the wars between the Ottomans and the Holy Roman Empire. Now at this time there was some unrest between the Protestants and Catholics. The Turkish ruler Kara Mufasa Pasha saw this as an opportunity as he dreamed of ruling over Europe like an emperor. So he started his armies on a march towards the Holy Roman Empire, and eventually he did uh, get his armies to the city of Vienna and had managed to put the town under siege and had blockaded the part of the city that was on the river. When John arrived on the scene with his army, he found Vienna surrounded and the Turks had managed to inflict significant damage to some of the walls. On September 12th, his forces attacked, and they had the advantage of higher ground when they were making their charge. So this charge managed to break up the Ottoman army, and John himself actually led the charge, including the final charge into Mustafa's camp. Now, when this happened, this gave the soldiers who were defending the city a chance to mount their own attack. So the Ottoman forces were caught in the middle, and few of them managed to escape. When Mufasta returned to his homeland, he was eventually arrested and executed by the orders of Sultan Mehmed IV as punishment for his failure. So as far as how to stat out his sword... It would be a plus five holy two-handed holy avenger. Now, as I mentioned when I talked about the blessed swords in the episode on England and Scotland, this one again it would be appropriate to give it additional powers. I would say that the additional powers should be related to large-scale warfare because that's what led 
uh, John to receive this sword as a gift. I looked through the second edition Tome of Magic, and there were some spells from the Sphere of War that I thought could be appropriate for this weapon. The three main ones that I think you could probably give several uses a day to would be Courage, Morale, and Leadership. The way these spells were written, they referenced the battle system uh, rules that came out at this time. However, I've never played battle systems, so I'm not exactly sure how some of those spells would work, but just reading the description, I thought they would be appropriate. Now, I think that it would also be appropriate to give some higher level spells from the Sphere of War to this sword, usable maybe once a day or once a week, and these are relevant to the uh, Battle of Vienna. Three spells that I think would be appropriate would be Keltrops, Tanglefoot, and Gravity Variation. Now, of course, the these wouldn't have been used during the actual battle itself, but the reason I think it would be appropriate to include these spells is because of the tactics used at that particular battle. Again, this is one of the largest cavalry charges in history. And as I mentioned before, John's army had the advantage of higher ground. So that's where the gravity variation spell could come in useful because that allows you to shift the gravity where if you were charging downhill, it would make your charge more effective. Or if you had to say charge uphill, you could alter the gravity so it wasn't going to hinder you as much. And then the spells Keltrops and Tanglefoot are both intended to hinder the movement of armies. So that's why I think those would be appropriate. Again, just looking at the historical context of the Battle of Vienna. Also, another interesting note about John Sobeski is there's actually a constellation that at one time was named in honor of him. It was called Scutum Sobieskium which translates to the Shield of Sobeski. It is a small, dim constellation located between the constellations of Achaela the Eagle, Sagittarius the Archer, and Ophiuchus the Serpent Bearer. It was named in 1684 by the Polish astronomer Johannes Hevelius. However, in modern astronomy, the reference to Sobeski has been dropped and today it is simply known as scutum, which is Latin for shield, and is a large type of rectangular shield that was used by the ancient Roman armies. It's also noteworthy because, at least as far as I know, this is the only constellation named after a historical person who, first, wasn't an astronomer, and second, who was alive at the time the constellation was named. The next sword I'm going to talk about is one that does physically exist. And that is, and I apologize, I am not going to pronounce this correctly, Zezebrik. And this is the coronation sword of the kings of Poland. Now, like many of the other weapons I've discussed, there is a good deal of lore behind the blade, which falls strictly in the realms of legend. The sword was said to have been given to Boleslaw the Brave by an angel. Possibly this was done as a way to give the weapon a supernatural origin and make it similar to Excalibur in terms of importance. 
Now, the original sword is not believed to have survived, but there is a replica that was made and was used as a coronation sword for the Polish monarchy. The new version of the sword is heavily decorated with various inscriptions and Christian symbols. Now, this particular sword was made strictly for ceremonial purposes as opposed to being a functional weapon. So again, if you do decide to introduce this weapon into your campaign, you definitely want to assume that it's going to be a, an actual practical sword as opposed to just ceremonial. Before it was used as a coronation sword, it was seen as a sword of justice. And these types of weapons do exist in other cultures. They're said to represent the king's role as a giver of justice. In some places, the sword of justice also served the role as being an executioner's sword. Executioner swords often had a rounded point and a broad blade. They were often decorated with scenes of torture or death. But one German example has an inscription that reads something to the effect of, When I lift up this sword, I wish the sinner eternal life. Now, during Polish coronations, the archbishop would hand the sword to the kneeling king and ask him to use the sword to rule justly, defend the church, fight evil, protect widows and orphans, and to rebuild what is damaged, maintain what is rebuilt, avenge what is unjust, and reinforce what is well-managed. During the ceremony, the onlookers would pay attention to how well the king handled the sword, because it was believed that how well he handled the weapon or how comfortable he appeared while holding it was an omen of how that particular king's reign would go. So I thought that was interesting, and... Who knows, maybe that might be a little something you can work into a campaign if your characters have to witness the coronation of a king. The sword was taken by Prussian troops in 1794. It would change hands several times until coming into possession of the Russian Emperor Alexander III. Though in 1913, the sword owned by the emperor was declared a replica. The sword was eventually returned to Poland in 1928, though it was smuggled out in 1939 when the Germans invaded. The sword was eventually taken to Britain and then eventually moved to Canada for safekeeping. It wouldn't return to Poland until 1959. So there is some debate as to whether the sword currently in possession in Poland is the real one, or if it's just a replica, because it is quite possible that the original was lost, destroyed, or is in a private collection somewhere. Now, the sword itself, as I said, is covered with inscriptions and various insignia and decorations. The cross guard has an inscription that reads, Whoever will carry these names of God with him, no danger will harm him. So I would stat this as a long sword, holy avenger, but I would give it additional protective properties, such as uh, an enhanced circle of protection from evil, or at least granting saving throw bonuses to the person using the sword. Well, to end the show today, 
I'd like to talk about some possessions that were owned by a character named Janosik. Now, the way his name is spelled and the way I always heard it pronounced growing up was Janosik, because uh, it is a last name. And I remember I went to school with a guy whose last name was uh, spelled the same way, but it was always pronounced Janosik. But from what I understand, the correct pronunciation is Janosik. And I'll tell why in just a moment. Now, this hero is based on a real Polish highwayman known as Jurez Janosik. He's often compared to Robin Hood because he became known as a symbol of resistance to oppression and, like Robin Hood, was known for stealing from the rich to give to the poor. Now, the real Janosik was born in 1688 and was executed in 1713. Now, naturally, there is a bit of folklore surrounding him. It isn't always in agreement with historical fact, though at least some of Janosik's traits from legend do appear to have some basis in reality. What we do know about him is that he was born sometime in January in 1688 in what is now known as Slovakia. He spent some of his younger years as a soldier, and then later as a prison guard. After helping a prisoner escape, they formed a gang of highwaymen, and he later became the leader of the gang at age of 23. It is known that they never killed any of their victims, and they did focus mostly on wealthy merchants as their targets of choice. It is also believed that the Robin Hood aspect of his legend might be based on truth as well, as it is believed he did give at least some of his accumulated wealth to the needy. He was captured in 1712 and then later executed in 1713. The method of his execution is debated. He was either hung by the neck or he may have been hung by a giant hook that would have pierced his ribs. The second method would have been much more brutal, as it would have taken him a couple of days to die. Like Robin Hood, his story has been retold numerous times through various plays, poems, and movies. There have even been a couple of games I found that were made about him. The first one was made for the ZX Spectrum computer, and while doing research for this topic, I did actually find that there is one that was made for smartphones called the Legend of Janosik. So I did download that game and, and did check it out. So it's a free-to-play game. So check it out if it, you think it sounds interesting. So now that we've talked a little bit about some of the historical aspects of Janosik, let's move on to some of the legendary aspects of this hero. The first time I heard stories about Janosik were many years ago when my wife and I went to Polish Fest in Milwaukee. So that's where I learned the pronunciation of the name. Uh, at least Janosik was how the storyteller pronounced it. The original variation of the story went that he lived at a time when the wealthy and the nobles were free to oppress the peasants and farmers as they saw fit. And as Janosik was heading home one day, he saw a wealthy man beating up on a peasant. And this angered him, so he killed the, the nobleman and gave 
his money to the, the peasant. Well, a witch saw this and said, you're now a criminal and you cannot live among normal men. So, and of course, Janosik realized this. So the witch gave him three gifts to help him with his endeavors as a highwayman. A weapon called a cupaga, a belt, and a shirt. So we'll be going into the details behind these three items in just a moment. So he then formed this gang of highwaymen until he was eventually captured. And it was said that he was executed, but he didn't actually really die. And he just remains sleeping and will return once Poland needs him again. Now, as I've done research over the years, there were some other variations I heard. Uh, one variation of the story I heard said that the well, it followed the same version I heard at Polish Fest, but instead of one witch, it was three witches. I remember reading a PDF a few years ago, and this was written by someone who was doing a bit more research into the folklore. Unfortunately, I can't find a copy of that PDF again, so I can't properly credit the author. But the story I heard in that one is that Janosik had tried to become a a student at a university, but he missed home. So he was going home and he became lost and he saw a cabin. So he went into it and there was a, a woman there, an old woman, as I recall. And Janosik asked if he could get some food in exchange for doing some work. And the old woman said that, well, my sisters, when they return home, they won't, you know, they won't be happy to find you here. So he's like, so be it. If I'm going to die, at least I want to have a full belly. So he did some work for the old woman. And as promised, she gave him some food and then hid him away. Well, when the two other sisters returned, they realized that there was a stranger in the house. And Janosik could overhear them talking. They were impressed by his courage. And that's when the old women revealed themselves to be three goddesses. Though in some legends it says that they're three fairies and they reverted to their true forms of being beautiful young women. So they recognized that there was great injustice in the land and the people needed someone to stand up for them. They, they needed a hero. So they gave him his three signature magic items and then he, of course, would go on and form his robber gang. Now, as far as how he was captured, the legends say that he was without his three pieces of equipment. And as he was trying to flee the authorities, an old lady threw a bag of dried peas at his feet while he was trying to run away, which caused him to slip and thus be captured. And again, some legends say that he was executed. Others say that he did manage to escape. So let's take a closer look at the three magic items that were given to Janosik. The first is his axe, which the Polish name is, I think it's pronounced Kupaga, but it's more commonly known as a shepherd's axe. It was actually a multi-purpose tool. First, the axe head was about the size of one you would see on a hatchet. It had a flat end that could be used as a hammer, and then, of course, the sharp axe head. 
The top was shaped so it could fit comfortably in the hand and be used as a walking stick. Now, you can't really cut down a thick tree with it, but it could still be used to cut down smaller trees and branches. The other end of the stick often had a a sharp point on it, so this would be used to help uh, get a good stable footing as you were trying to climb up the mountains. Also, some of these axes are made with rings that are attached to the back of the, the axe. Not really sure what the purpose is. I thought I read somewhere that it may have been used to put a rope through there so you could throw it and use it as a, a makeshift grappling hook. And I actually do have a Q-Paga. Uh, mine is more strictly the decorative kind, though. And mine does have some very intricate wood carvings on it. And it does have those brass rings. But like I said, I'm not really sure uh, what uh, they were used for. So they still do make these items. But like I said, it's very difficult to find ones that are actually functional. Most of the ones that are sold today are for use as walking sticks, though they are sometimes used as props in various folk dances. Now, I've heard a variety of different powers that were attributed to this weapon. One power is that it could allow him to climb any surface. Now, I also recall there was one story where he used it to restrain a person after he had received these weapons. He was trying to find people to join him in his gang, and he did encounter three highwaymen, and he challenged them, and he uh, th used his uh, Q-Paga to hold one of them down to the ground, and it wouldn't actually let him get up until Janosik allowed it. There's another s story that said it would allow him to jump great distances, up to three miles. I seem to recall there was something about where he could throw it and it would return to his hand. And in that mobile game I was mentioning earlier, they actually do have that as an upgrade you can get where you use magic to throw it and then have it return to your hand. So, like I said, I wasn't able to find any reference to that legend again, so I'm not sure if I'm misremembering something or maybe if it was part of some variation of the legend. So as far as how we would stat this out, I would make it a plus three weapon and have it that it could do damage as either a hand axe or, or a war hammer, depending on which side of the head you're striking with. I would also give it the ability to function as a combination of boots of speed, a ring of jumping, and gauntlets of swimming and climbing, because this weapon was said to be able to help him with his escapes. The next item is his shirt. Now, the legends I've read, this one has been pretty consistent. It basically protects him from bullets and arrows. So I would give this the statistics of leather armor plus two with a permanent protection from normal missile spell upon it. And finally, there is his belt. Some versions of the story said it did give him the ability to run and jump faster, but I decided that would probably be a little more appropriate to his, his axe. Though, some versions say that Janosik did have superhuman strength. So I would stat this one out as a girdle of hill giant strength. Because again, some legends say he was extremely strong, and it was said that he could even leave an impression of his hand in rock if he decided to press down hard enough. So there you have it, some weapons and magic items from Polish folklore that you might try to incorporate into your campaign.
I'd like to thank you all for tuning in. And as always, have a good evening or morning or afternoon, whatever it is, wherever you are. And happy gaming. You have been listening to a program from the Point of Insanity Network. Visit us at poigamestudio.podbean.com for more shows. Follow us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at POI Game Studio.